The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word tonight, we exalt you over the nations. We exalt you over the Middle East. We exalt you, Jesus, over Israel and Gaza and Egypt and Iran and Syria and Iraq and Lebanon and Saudi Arabia. We exalt you over the United States of America, our, our small towns and big cities, our government, every, every person in our 50 states. We exalt you, Jesus, over Europe and Asia and Africa, over Ukraine and Russia, over China, over Australia, over South America. We exalt you tonight, Jesus, and we do it together. Would you open up your word to us tonight, um, this most precious story, Jesus? Would you open up this, this resurrection story? This is why we gather. This is why we sing because of this story. And so, Jesus, would you meet with us tonight, the resurrected, risen, alive, breathing, living, loving Lord Jesus? We worship you. We worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we are, the dawn of resurrection life, new life beginning. This is my favorite story, has been my favorite story in the whole New, whole new Testament since I was a little girl. And, um, and in fact, my daughter is named Madeline because of this story. So way back in, in college, I decided, okay, and before even Matt and I were getting married, I decided if I have a little girl, I'm going to name her Madeline um, because of this woman who encountered Jesus and um, he called her by name and he met her face to face. And then she um, took her place in his story. So this, this story for me is really, really beautiful and really, really personal. Um, so Dawn of Resurrection Life. So now on the first day of the week, this is um, John 19, um, John 20, verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think that's so funny. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the other linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for he as yet they did not understand the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, before we get to Mary, I want us to look at disciple the disciples. I want us to look at the disciples because I think John's relationship right here is really super important if we understand John's role and how he's writing this story. So I want us to look back at where John refers to himself in the Gospel of John. He doesn't do it very many times and never he never does it by name, which I think is very interesting. So the first time John actually refers to himself in his own gospel is in John 13. Um, and it's at the Last Supper. And do you remember John is leaning close to Jesus and Peter says, ask him, who's going to betray him? Ask him, ask him, right? Because Peter's not brave enough. And so John just leans in and says, who is it, Lord? And then Jesus confronts Judas. It's this really, really interesting comparison between John and Judas at that moment. One leaning in close and one pulling away. Um, it's it, it, That in itself would be a really fascinating study. Then in John 19, we saw this last week. There are no disciples at the cross, at least none that are recorded except one, and, and it's John. Um, and then and then um, Jesus entrusts his mother to, into John's care. So there's this tenderness that um, we're seeing between Jesus and John. Then in John 20, um, this in this chapter, Mary comes to the tomb. It's early um, and all, she doesn't even look in. She just sees that the stone is rolled away. And then she says, oh, my goodness. Um, oh, my goodness. And so she runs straight away to tell the disciples, to tell Simon, Peter and John. I don't know where the other disciples were. If just John and Peter were together. I don't know. But she knows where they were and she runs to tell them. And so they come. 
Um, and and the funny thing is, I have two sons, right? And so, I, of course, they would say who ran the fastest, right? <laughs> John ran the fastest, but wasn't brave enough to go in. Um, I, I got a big tickle. That reminds me of my son so much. Um, the last time we see John um, is in chapter 21. And Peter and Peter and G, you know, Peter's having the conversation with Jesus. Do you love me? Be my sheep. Do you love me? And uh, at the end, Peter, uh, Jesus says, follow me. And then Peter, and then he says, you're going to, you're going to, this is in verse 18 of 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk where you wanted. When you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will carry you where you do not want to go. You follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. And I had never noticed this little, this little detail. So Peter and Jesus are, they're actually, the breakfast is over. They're walking along the beach together and John is following behind. So Peter and Jesus and John and Peter says, well, what about him? What about him? And, uh, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And then he goes on in verse 24. This is the disciple bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. These are the five times we see actually see John playing a role in his own gospel. And I think it's really interesting where he puts himself into the story. Now he's he's the he's the one crafting this story and he's telling it for a very specific purpose. The places he puts himself in the story are the places of Jesus's deepest pain, right? And then he does not put himself on a platform that gives him any glory. Not at all. In fact, in fact, he never names himself in the gospel. He appears in the story only at the end, right? We only know um, him as the one whom Jesus loved. He's careful to give space, especially at the tomb. He he lets the reader know that he and, he and Simon Peter go home. And the one who lingers there is Mary. And I think it's very, very significant he writes it that way. He could have... He could have told the story in a different way that would have given him a little more honor, given Peter a little bit more honor, pushed Mary to the side a little bit. He does not do that. He's careful throughout his entire gospel to include women all the way through, right? He's very intentional. We've seen it from John 2 all the way through to John 20, from his very first miracle to the resurrection of Lazarus, now to the end. John writes women into the story, which is really interesting. And you wonder if it's because his mama just lived there. Like, you wonder if it's because he took care of her and there was a sense the mother of the son of God is in my home and I better be very careful with what I do with her story and what I do with women. It's very interesting to me the way he writes it. It's very different from the other writers. He's very careful. He also writes Samaritans, Gentiles, and even Pharisees in a positive light. He writes them into his story that the gospel is not just for men. It's not just for Jews. It's for women. It's for Gentiles. It's for the broken. It's it's for everyone, even the Pharisees. Right? There's a the the most famous the most famous passion in the New Testament is between Jesus and Nicodemus, the Pharisee. So there's a sense that John says this is for everyone. He writes the story of Jesus with the beginning and the end in mind, right? He begins in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And he writes the beginning about creation. And then he writes this whole beautiful passage with the end as well. And especially because we know he writes Revelation, there's this sense that he's putting Jesus's story in this larger historical story. Um, and then he writes and he gives us this in John 20. And as I was talking to my daddy about teaching this, he said, now cricket, you know, this is the most important verse in John. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and believing you may have life in his name. Now, here's the beautiful thing. John is someone who knew what it meant to have life. Not only had he walked with Jesus, not only had he talked to Jesus, he knew after the resurrection what it meant to have life in Jesus's name. And here's the interesting thing that I think is really important um, for us as we want to be filled with the spirit. I think that the, John's story, the way he writes his story is a beautiful example of the spirit filled life. 
He's not jockeying for position. He's not trying to be the best or the first or have a place on God's right hand. He actually writes as a spirit filled man who has seen the resurrected Lord Jesus and is full of his Holy Spirit. And this, I think, is really important for us, right? As we encounter Jesus and we ask him to give us a clean heart and fill us with your Holy Spirit. And these are, I think, the marks. We don't have to be named. But we do understand ourselves to be one whom Jesus loves very, very much. And I love that together, right? We don't have to be named. It's not our name that matters. But in our own personal identity, we know beyond a shadow of our doubt that we are loved by Jesus. And that, and that is the under, that's the foundation of our whole identity that creates a freedom, right? It's a freedom. I don't have to be the first. I don't have to be the main character. I don't even have to be a main supporting actor. That doesn't matter. All that matters is that I am loved by Jesus. What if we were willing to be present with Jesus in all the hard parts of the story? And I think that's where we're living right now. We're in the hard parts of a story with Jesus. What if we didn't back away? What if we didn't try to alleviate the pain? What if we just said, okay, Jesus, I'll walk with you here. I keep looking down at my shoes this week and just saying, okay, I will walk with you here in this space, in this time, I want to walk with Jesus. What if we made sure that women, other women or other people were included at the most important moments? And what if we made sure that they were named and they were known? What if it wasn't about just me finding my role in God's story, but what if it was, what about her and how can I bring her alongside? I, I cannot tell you how many times texted me this, over, you know, she's taught this Bible say twice. So she would text me and say, Cricket, I know this is hard. Cricket, you're doing a beautiful job. Cricket, I'm praying for you. Cricket, I'm praying for you. Almost every single week she texted me. There's just this sense like, who can we come alongside? Who can we lift up? Who can we encourage? Who can we bless? How can we enable Jesus's story to go on in the life of another? And the fun thing about getting older is like, oh, oh, there's another generation coming behind. How do we encourage them to walk with Jesus? How do we encourage them? Oh, you're doing a good job. What if we gave others the honor Jesus wanted them to have? It's not about me deciding who gets what place. It's about saying, Jesus, who are you wanting to honor? And here's the funny thing we know about Mary Magdalene. It's not the one we think it's going to be. <laughs> it wasn't his mom. It wasn't Mary of Bethany. It wasn't any, it wasn't Martha. It was, it was the neediest and the loneliest. And it was that one that Jesus said, she's the one I want to honor. Will you honor her, John? And John did. What if we live our lives? And I think a spirit-filled life is a life that lives with the beginning and the end in our minds and the end in our minds. And this makes us women of purpose and women of hope, right? Because we know where we came from. We came from the heart of God. He saved us. He's cleansed our hearts. And we know where we're going. We live as women of hope. And I think that will be our best witness. No matter what, we have hope. And we know how to speak hope into the lives of other people because of Jesus. And what if we lived our lives so that others might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in Jesus, they might find life. And I think that should just be something we every day we say, now, Jesus, how do I live in such a way that other people might believe that you are the Christ, the Savior, the one our hearts are longing for, and that you, other people might find life in his name. And I think depending on how he's created us, it's going to be very different. So here's the funny thing. Sometimes we try to fit into a mold that's not who we are. We try to do this because she's good at it or she loves Jesus and she does it this way. So I need to, maybe you're looking at me like, maybe I have to read really old books, and you know, and that's not who Jesus created you to be. There's something beautiful about just saying, well, Jesus, how do I live my life as my personality so that others might have life in your name? And the beautiful thing is once we begin to find our life in his name, then it kind of like just, we just begin to be like, oh, well, I'm going to just do what I do with all my heart for love of Jesus. And then his life begins to pour through us. There's something beautiful about that. I think John behind the scenes is illustrating what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if we're writers or if we are presenters of the gospel, even how we write, even how we present 
even how we speak um, is part of our witness. And I think John gives the most beautiful witness of that here. Here's what we want to say about Mary as we get started on Mary's story. First of all, Mary um, is present at Jesus's um, burial. She was just present at the cross. We found we heard last week. And then she's present at, at the burial. And it's very interesting the way Matthew describes it. He describes Mary and another woman. We do not know who it is. And they're sitting across Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, which little side note, Joseph of Arimathea is in all four of the gospels. And there are not very many stories in all four, but Joseph of Arimathea is. And uh, so he and Nicodemus take down the body of Jesus. So they've, they have like all these spices and they're wrapping Jesus' body. And Mary and the other women are, are not helping. I, I'm sure they're really not allowed to help, but they are sitting back and watching. It says they're sitting, maybe perched on a stone wall, right? And then Joseph is putting the body of Jesus in his own burial place. So it's all happening. It's in a garden. The gar it's a brand new tomb. I was sharing this with my family um, and was like, mom, were there other bodies in the tomb? <laughs> I said, no, baby, it was brand new. I think he had the thought that if Jesus was alive, if Jesus, then they would probably all come alive. And then I think he got a little freaked out. But anyway, um, it was a brand new tomb. It was very close to Golgotha. It's very close to Calvary. So they took down his body and they needed to bury him close because it was almost Sabbath time. Um, and so they buried him in the garden. So, so Mary's been watching all of this and she sees the stone um, is rolled into place. And then she comes the next morning and she sees that the stone is rolled away. And what I love at this point is Mary panics, I think. She goes right away to the disciples and she has enough of a relationship with the disciples that she runs to them and says, oh my goodness, and this, I, I love this line and I love how it, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, but Mary. Sometimes we look for Jesus, we can't find him and we go back home and say, well, I don't know, but I'm just going to leave it and go on to something else. Not Mary. She wasn't going to leave it. <laughs> she was going to stay until she figured it out. She wasn't going to go home and talk about it with the other disciples. She was going to stay where she last saw him until she found him again. Um, and she stood there and she stood weeping. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will come and take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't hold me yet, for I have not ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And here's what I love about this whole story. And I, there are seven things I want to say about Mary and Jesus here. And the first thing is, well, the first thing I want to say is that she, um, and this was in, um, this was in the Lydon book um, in the Easter sermons. But one thing that he said was she loved, she loved much. She loved with all her heart. And then she came to the tomb and she's disappointed, right? Like, well, she's disappointed because he's, his, he's dead. And then she's disappointed because she doesn't know where he is. But then Lydon talks about her perseverance. She, it's not the kind of disappointment where you sit down and say, oh, oh no, and weep and cry. It was a disappointment that created in her a desperation to do something. And so, and, and uh, so it's really kind of cute because he says, when she, when Jesus appears to Mary, he calls her by name. And I think that is, 
I think that is the most important thing that Jesus wants to say to us. In fact, this is so funny. He said, I need the names of Jesus because we want to send them out tomorrow morning. I need the names of Jesus. And so I was doing my Bible study and I was kind of like, okay, Jesus, I need the names of Jesus. And I went through all the names of Jesus. And then I got here and I thought, oh, in chapter 20, it's not me calling your name. It's you It's Jesus calling my name. It's Jesus calling your name. And he doesn't call your mother's name. He doesn't call your neighbor's name. He doesn't call your friend's name. He calls your name. It's so funny in my house. Matt calls me Crick. And so if he's just talking about business, we need to go Sam's Crick. We need to do this. He calls me Crick. Like we're getting things done. That's what he calls me. If uh, if I'm kind of in trouble, he says, Christian, because that's my full name, Christian. And uh, he says, Christian, in his like big, deep voice. But if then things are going really well, he really is happy with me, he'll call me Chrissy. Hey, Chrissy. And I know, right? I know if he calls me Chrissy that I'm in a really, really good place. <laughs> There's a sweetness. He calls us by name. And Mary knew the sound of her name. And that's what I think this whole gospel has been building, building, building. At the end of this, there are going to be 25 names of Jesus. And then there's one place where he just says, and then I call you by name. I encounter you in the middle of all your situation. And you know, by the sound of my voice, what I want to say to you, is this time to get things done? Or is this kind of trying to hold back? Or is this a moment of tenderness? We will know by the sound of his voice with us. He calls us by name. And then he opens our eyes to see and our minds to understand. So here's really this interesting story, right? She can't actually, she doesn't even know it's him. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't understand the words he's already spoken about resurrection. She doesn't know, but then he's there. And as soon as he's there, and as soon as he calls her by name, all of a sudden she, all of a sudden it begins to make sense. And I think that is the number one thing I have found in my own walk with the Lord, that when he calls me by name, all of a sudden my mind is like, oh, okay. All of a sudden there's, there's a light and there's a hope and there's like, oh, the world, the world seems brighter and more beautiful because he opens our minds to see not how necessarily all the pieces fit together. He opens our minds and our eyes to see him in all the places, right? He opens our minds to say, oh my goodness, you made the flowers and the birds and oh my goodness, you're turning people to you. Even in the midst of war, I had someone who emailed me and she said, um, the, the, we have friends in Ukraine and they're saying, don't pray for the war to end. Pray that people find Jesus because people are finding Jesus. All of a sudden, in the midst of our situations, we see what God is doing and how he's doing it. He opens our minds to understand. And remember that passage? This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. 4, I want to just read it for us. Um, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to his image of God. And I think that's what the devil does. He blinds us. We can't see. We can't see what's right in front of us. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the world begins to make sense because he's at the center. And all of a sudden, light begins to shine. And we begin to understand, not just follow blindly, not just say pat answers that we learned in Sunday school. We begin to understand. And then he surrounds us with his presence and his protection. Now, think about this. You got the tomb, right? She's looking in the tomb. And Lydon said this in his book, and I thought it was so funny. He said, she looks in the tomb. She sees two angels. And they're probably the archangels, right? I mean, I'm just saying, right? This is the most important moment ever. It's probably Michael and Gabriel in the tomb. And she is not even, she is not, she doesn't even care, right? She doesn't even care about seeing these two mighty angels. She's just like, where is Jesus? Beautiful thing is she turns around and there he is. And think about this visual image. Behind her are two angels. In the place of death are two angels shining. And as she turns, there's the face of Jesus. He surrounds us with himself. 
And I think the key to being a woman who is confident in Jesus, loving in Jesus, hopeful in Jesus is this. I am surrounded by God himself. I am surrounded by his love. Remember the story of Elisha? And he said, open his eyes, the eyes of my poor servant. He's afraid. He cannot see that the, the trees and the hills are full of God's army. How are we going to have courage in these days? We're going to have courage by this. We are surrounded by the presence of God. And we can encounter even things that are evil and say, Jesus, we invite you here. I, I will never forget this. We were in the Asbury Revival. And one of the fears that was happening were people were coming in and there was disruption. And some people said, uh, it's demon possession. And we really need to pray about demon possession. So my sister-in-law, she's lived in Africa for a long time and has seen a lot of hard, hard things. And she said, she got real like, uh, impatient and she in a, just a real cute way, but she was like, okay, the name of Jesus is stronger than any demon. And so all we do is we just pray in the name of Jesus. We do not have to be afraid. And so she would like, they would come to get her to pray over these people. And she would just do a big sigh. Like, can't you all get this? The name of Jesus is stronger than any power anywhere. And there was this confidence. And so anytime I felt afraid, I was just like, yeah, the name of Jesus is stronger than any power. And he's surrounding us. He's surrounding any woman who loves him, any woman who waits on him, any woman who, who, who loves him more than herself, right? And is willing to pay whatever price to be in his presence. He says, oh, she's surrounded by me. She's safe. She's safe no matter what. Even if the worst comes, she is safe in my presence, surrounded. And then this is the funny thing. She supposes he's the gardener. And why do you think it is that he looks like he's the gardener? Because he is the gardener, right? He's the gardener of the Eden. He's the one who recreates. He's the gardener who brings life. I think this is such an intentional thing by John to say, yeah, he's the gardener. He made the original garden. And he's going to make a garden in our own lives. And he's going to bring at the end, he's going to make all things beautiful and new. And not just in some heavenly by and by, he is going to recreate the world. What does Romans 8 said? The whole world is groaning till we would become sons and daughters of God. They're waiting for it to happen. Because when we become, when we claim our inheritance and become sons and daughters of God, it does something to the actual world. <laughs> the trees and the leaves, and the grass, and the flowers, when we acknowledge him as Lord, when we, not the governments, not other people, when we acknowledge him as Lord, it does something to the very world in which we live. He is the gardener, <laughs> not the gardener that she was thinking of, but he is the gardener, and he is recreating us, and this resurrection moment was the beginning of that recreation, and then I love this, and this is one of the marks of the resurrection. Like if you want to prove the historicity of the resurrection, this is the one of the marks that they always go to. Um, oh, well, she, she he says to her, um, don't hold on to me, right? She falls at his feet and holds on. He says, don't hold on to me. Now, think about Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus's feet, right? And kissing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. Think about that moment as she prepares him for burial. And think of this moment. He says, oh, no, 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 no. It's not time for that. Isn't that interesting? There's a time to sit at his feet and worship, and there is a time to go and tell. There is a time to act. There is a time to move. There is a time to put your dancing shoes on and say, I have a message to tell. I have a story to share. I have to tell you that Jesus is alive. And this is the moment he said, you put your dancing shoes on and you get going. That's what, as I've been looking at my feet this week, I had a hard meeting yesterday. I was dreading it. I thought, oh no, this isn't going to go well. I got out of the meeting and Jesus worked all things out in such a beautiful way. I looked down at my feet and I thought, Jesus, Jesus, you are so sweet because how do we follow you? We just literally follow you. We trust you with every new situation. And then there becomes a joy. And Mary was preparing him for burial. Mary Magdalene is preparing to tell the whole world. And I think we're in that moment. That doesn't mean we don't sit at his feet. Um, one of the people I was reading said, the only way we're going to be able to tell the world is that we spend more and more time at his feet. But this is not a time just for, um, this is not a time for preparing for burial. This is a time for action. This is a time to go. And so he gives her a job to do. 
And how is it that the job he gives her to do is to tell the men that Jesus is alive, right? That's that's her job. Tell the men that I'm alive. <laughs> I just love it. And they say, actually, that would never have happened. No Jew would have ever written that. No man would probably have ever written that except the spirit of God. Who does he want as his messenger? Mary Magdalene. And where's she to go? She's to go right up the hill to the house where she just was saying his body's not there. She's to go back there and say, hey, he's alive. And he appeared to me. That's all she has to do. She doesn't have to explain it. All she has to do is say, I've met Jesus. He's called me by name. He appeared to me. He's alive. Sometimes we make our witness way too hard when all it really has to be is I've met Jesus. And he saved me. (laughs) I've met Jesus and he freed me from addiction. I've met Jesus and he's called me by name. That was her job. He writes us into his story. So what was the message he wanted her to give? Tell my brothers, um, I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. He didn't say, tell my brothers, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, tell my brothers, we have a job to do. He said, I am ascending to my father and your father. Remember the whole book of John? Who's the main character? The father, right? The father's the main character of the book of John. And now Jesus is saying, he's not just my father, he's yours. And what does the atonement mean? The atonement means I have the same access to the father that Jesus himself does. That is the miracle. I can hide myself in him. I can talk to him. There is an immediacy with the father through the sacrifice of the son. And that is what is the good news. He's not out there. He's not scary. I run right into his heart. It is safe because of Jesus. What is the heart of the atonement? Jesus says, I want you to know my father the way I know my father. So I'm going to make a way. And somehow it's through my body that is your way in. Just like it's through a mother's body that a child is born into the world. Jesus says, it's through my body that you have access to the heart of the father. And um, and that's the message he wants the disciples to know. The father is now their father. They have a home, they have a family. And Jesus writes Mary into his story as she becomes the one who delivers that message. No other gospel says it exactly this way. There's something beautiful about how John says it. And then the last thing, Jesus gives Mary a story to tell, a witness to give, a people, and an honor. So think about this. For the rest of her life, as long as she lives, she is known as the woman, right, to whom Jesus appeared first, right? And all of a sudden, this woman who's known hurt, who's known evil, who's known that Jesus could set her free, who's known the love of Jesus, now all of a sudden is in this position of honor. She is the one Jesus wanted to share this good news. And do you know what? I think for all of us, as we say, Jesus, we want you. (laughs) And he says, actually, I want you. Um, He gives us a story. He gives us a witness to tell. He gives us people. Who are the other people that love him? And he gives us an honor. That one is marked by God himself. She's part of my family. So no shame, right? That's what all John 8 was about. No shame, no hurt from the past, no living in the same cycles of sin and insecurity and pain. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I have a place of honor for you in my family because of your love for me and your willingness to wait for me and then respond. So now think about this. How do we love? This is what Mary did. She loved much. And here's what, think about what her love did. Her love strengthened her to wait by the cross, enabled her to observe the burial, motivated her to get up before dawn before anybody else and to be at the tomb, emboldened her the first time to go to the disciples, compelled her to stay when everyone else went home, gave her courage to speak to angels, angels, and and kind of dismissively, right? Can you imagine speaking to the archangels that way? Enabled her to recognize the sound of his voice when he called her name. And then gave her wings to fly up the hill and share the good news that Jesus was alive. If anyone loves me, she will keep my word and my father will love her and we will come to her and we will make our home with her. And that is what I think as we love him. And you say, okay, Cricket, but how do I love? How do I love Jesus that way? 
here's what we could do. We receive his forgiveness and we receive the freedom he wants to give to us. It's not about us doing anything. We simply open our arms wide and say, yes, we want all that you have for us. And that is what Mary did at the very beginning of her story when Jesus healed her. And she said, yes, I want you. And then what did Mary do? She followed him really close. <laughs> In fact, more than any other woman, she stuck to Jesus like glue. He was her person. We receive all he has, and then we stick as close as we can. We love him more than anyone else. And maybe maybe because he's our only person, but remember the one who had great riches and he turned his face away because he said, oh, I have great riches. We can have riches of family, riches of education, riches of intellect and ability. We can have lots of riches that cause us to turn our face away. The needier we are, the more pain we're in. The more it all falls apart, the more we know how much we need him and we stick close. So if you have riches of any type, watch it. Be careful. Say, Jesus, protect me and let me love you with all my heart. Even if it means selling, even if it means walking away from some things so that I can love you with all my heart. We love him. We stay close to him. Um, we say, and we stay close to others who love him. And I think that is one of the keys, right? We get around other people who love Jesus. It's hard to be in a world where everyone thinks you're kind of crazy because of how much you love Jesus. <laughs> but when you find other people who love him, all of a sudden it's like, oh, those are my people. And I can go out and be with other people. But then I come back to those who love him and know him. That's why we have prayer partners and prayer calls. And that's why we have Titus. That's the whole purpose of Titus, to be with others who love him. We don't run for the suffering involved in loving Jesus. Mary did not try to hide. And when it got hard, she did not walk away. We're the last to leave and the first to come into his presence. Don't you love that? That's what she did. We're the, and you know, sometimes it, I think we can just, the more we love him and I'm finding even like the more I talk aloud to him, the more I give him thanks, the more I am intentional in my worship, the more I turn my ordinary duties into to prayer, the more I spend time with him, not just in my quiet time, but in all those in-between moments, uh, there's like a quickening that comes, a love that comes. We listen for the sound of his voice. We're not always talking. We obey and we don't frequent the graveyards of the past anymore. Now, this was an idea by H.P. Lydon, and this is what he said. Sometimes we know Jesus is alive and we've told the story and then we keep going back to the graveyard. And it was interesting. And we keep going into the tomb. And the way he said it was we keep fondling the head cloth and talking about the burial clothes. We keep walking into the places that he has set us free from. Please, let's not do that anymore, right? Let's not do that anymore. If there's insecure, insecurity, I think is the number one thing here. Comparing ourselves to others, don't fondle the head clothes anymore. He has set us free. Let's march out of that garden and to the garden of his goodness and the garden of his life. Do not sit in the, bear, in the place of burial. He is not there. So I think as he, as the more we grow, he wants to cut us free from all those things that just keep cycling around in our brains. And he says, no, let me replace that with my goodness and my joy and my hope. And you know what? Sometimes it just takes an act of the will where we say, I'm getting out of this burial place. <laughs> Jesus isn't here. And the thoughts that keep going around in my head are not productive, not helpful. And they just keep causing resentment or pain or stress. Jesus says, get out of here. There's a world that needs to know how good I am. Don't walk around the graveyard anymore. I am not there. She, Mary Magdalene, didn't, she didn't linger there when he told her to go. And then we witness to his living presence and his goodness. The more we talk about how good he is, the more we share who he is and what he's done, the more we'll find a freedom to love him and receive his love. That's what Mary did. And uh, it was funny because... Um, Mary assumed that she would find, right, when she went to the tomb at the beginning, she assumed that she would find what she had always found, right? When she went there on Good Friday night, she assumed that she would find that again when she went. 
and she didn't. It was something new. And I want to say this because sometimes I think we think, oh, we'll go back to what we knew, or this has worked in the past, or we've met Jesus here, or we met him on that mountaintop. Or, and Jesus is saying, I want to do some brand new things. I want to take you to places you've never been before. I want to, you to re branch out. I don't want you to keep coming back, looking for me in all the same places. Begin to look for me in some new places. Begin to look for my presence. Let me lead you. Don't just keep going around the same mountain and say, Jesus, what's next on your agenda? Who's the next one you want me to share with you with? Who are the next people to love? The next book of the Bible to study? The next place to share? He says, I want to do, I want to do something. I want to do something new. I think that's the most exciting thing is that as we, uh, this adventure with Jesus, it, um, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. So what do we say? Don't be afraid. Don't haunt the places of the dead. Don't fondle the grave clothes or wander through the tomb. He is not there. And um, one of the books I was reading said, the resurrection is the reality on which our faith is founded. And that is true, right? We know Jesus is the son of God because he's risen from the dead. And that is our joy. The resurrection is also our hope for the future, eternal life. That we're going to see Jesus face to face and we go, we, we go from life to life. Death is not the answer, is not the final word. But more, resurrection is life is to be our present reality. It is to be how we are to live. Remember the water of life? That it flows backwards and forwards. It sloshes over that we are women of life. Women where the life of Jesus is alive in us and there's an excitement. And what do we do sometimes, I think, if there's pain or suffering or things we don't know what to do with? You know what I'm finding? I'm just finding we just go to him again and say, Jesus, I don't know how to handle this. And then he begins to talk to us. Then we write down his promises and we claim his words and then we go out. And then again, he'll say something else will come and say, this seems to be more pain than I can bear. Okay. I crawl back off into his presence and I spend time with him. I spend time hearing his voice and letting him anchor me so that I could be a woman of joy. None of us are made to receive this whole gallon full of joy and then just go and live off of it. Right. We have to keep coming back into his presence, living face to face. Just like with Matt, like, take me on a date. I need some time with you. I need you to talk to me. Um, and the sweet thing is he's he's ready and he's willing. And um, that is, I think, the key to resurrection life is we just keep coming back to the one who is life, right? And But that is how we are to live. He makes all things new. So think about the old kind of stale places in your life. Jesus is saying, I want to make that new. I want to breathe new life there. Some of the prayers you've prayed for a really long time and you haven't seen an answer, he says, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I want to move there. Hold on a little longer. Hold on a little tighter. Seek some new promises to claim. Pray with a prayer buddy. Hold on. He's been saying that to me this week. And then do you know what happened? All of a sudden there was a breakthrough. All of a sudden I knew Jesus was speaking. All of a sudden it was like, oh, I prayed that prayer for so long. And now you're answering the prayer. Sometimes we want to be women of fear. And he says, no, no, no. I want you to be a woman who lives resurrection life. He triumphs over death. Any dead places in our lives, relationships that are dead, dreams that are dead. Jesus says, I don't want you to live there. He's the light of the world. Any dark places? He says, I want to shine my light in there. And I want to keep shining my light. <laughs> He's the water of life that flows and he's the resurrection. And, and he is the one who recreates all things. So you might think this is the way I've kind of written my life. And this is the way I think Jesus wants to do. And he says, actually, what I want is over here. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to go where I send you? Are you willing to be redirected? Um, and I think that's part of it. The flexibility of spirit that comes right to a woman who's filled with the, the spirit of God. Right. There has to be a willingness like Philip to say, well, I guess we're going to the Ethiopian road. I guess I guess we're going to talk to that person. And maybe it's for one. Maybe it's for a whole town of people. But Jesus says, are you available? And then here's the thing. The love of God wins. I do think that this is true, that the as we um, allow his resurrection life to fill us and love for Jesus to become primary in our lives, then that love isn't, is a love that can't be beaten. And it grows. The older we get, the sweeter it grows. 
And I think that is something is um, just a mark of the spirit and um, what makes growing older with Jesus sweeter and sweeter. That love just keeps growing more and more. And then more and more people are drawn to him. And then the kindness of God is our hope. I was looking up um, for the retreat I'm doing this weekend. I was looking up mercy, not chesed, which we all know so much, but just the actual word mercy. And it's in the Psalms hundreds of times. Like, And then I was like, oh, how funny the kindness of God to meet me in my dailiness, to meet me in my own personal struggles, to meet me in the places where I need the mercy of God. It's like with Mary Magdalene at the tomb, there's mercy. It's like, it's okay. I'll come to you first. You don't have to meet me in the group. I'll meet your heart's desire. Mercy is shown. That becomes our pattern where we expect it from him. We're not surprised by it. And, um, and then that becomes kind of, as we begin to share, it becomes our witness. Okay. Here's the thing about as we end tonight, he called, what are the names of Jesus in John 20? First of all, he calls us by name. He knows us. And that I think is the most beautiful thing about prayer is that we are known. We are known by him and we know him. We know his heart. And he begins to whisper his secrets to us. There's an intimacy that comes. He knows us. Second, he's our teacher. What did she call him? Rabboni, which I always thought wasn't her most eloquent moment, like of all the things to call him, of all the names of Jesus, it was like she just said, teacher. <laughs> but as we go out and live resurrection life, I love that, right? He's our teacher. He teaches us how to live with him, how to follow him, how to walk with him. We don't have to actually know how to do it. He is our teacher. And uh, as we go forward, he's our teacher. We ask and he answers, we seek and he reveals himself, we knock and he opens the door to his heart wide open. He's our teacher. And then um, he's the Christ, the son of God, the savior of the whole world. And this is John's purpose, right? That he's the Christ, he's, an he's the answer to all the Jewish story. He is the one, the Messiah, who has come to redeem and to save, to establish a right kingdom. He's the one who comes to make all things whole and new. He's the Savior. He reaches in and rescues us. Um, and it's up for the whole world. I love the way John ends his book, right? I love this line. Um, and there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. And, you know, it's true. If every lover of Jesus recorded all of God's goodness, all of his faithfulness, um, the world would be overflowing with stories of his goodness. What if that happened now? What if we started generating so many stories of his goodness and his faithfulness and his tenderness and his love um, that all of a sudden we overwhelmed? We overwhelmed our social media. We overwhelmed our families because it was like, oh, mom. Do you just keep talking about it? I'll tell you this. I keep talking about my daddy, but here's a sweet story. My mom, my daddy just turned 80 and my mom said to him just maybe yesterday, she said, honey, how do you feel about turning 80? And he said, I feel grateful. He said so many others have already run into the arms of Jesus. And here we still are. I feel grateful. There's something that happens um, when we get our eyes full of Jesus. There's a love, right? We can get to 80 and say, wow, the, the story of my life is I'm grateful to God's goodness. And um, as we go back, I want us to look at these. Who is who is Jesus? He's our bridegroom. He's the one, the giver of living water. He's the one who takes our shame. He's the light of the world. He's our friend. He's the one who answers our questions. He's the resurrection and the life. He is worthy of all our worship, all of it. And he's our defender. He's the savior. And he takes care of the mother, right? He takes care of the one who loves him. He takes care of his own. And then he's life itself. And I think as we begin to be women who say, I want to live in that light. I want to live in the life of Jesus. Um, we'll find a freedom we've never known. Now look at this. These are our words. They're, these are going to come to you in the email, but um, look at how beautiful these are. John is so intentional so that we know who Jesus is, right? 
And I think as we as we keep pondering these words, and here's my challenge, we're coming to the end. My challenge is go back to the beginning of John and study the prologue, study John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Nicodemus, the blind man, the lame man, John 14, 16, 7, 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, his high priestly prayer. As we keep as we keep immersing ourselves in this story, who is Jesus and who is Jesus in this moment of time? What I think is going to happen is our brains are going to just keep growing and growing and our love for him as well. He's the word of life. He speaks. He's a lamb of God. He takes away our sin. The son of God revealing the heart of the father, the living presence of God with us, the beloved son who was sacrificed for us, the bridegroom, the lover of our souls. He's the giver of living water, which heals, refreshes, and makes new. He's a great I am. It's a historical story, right? He starts at the beginning, and he's going to be there at the end. He's a savior. Savior means to set in a wide open place. That's what salvation means. He's the one who quenches my thirst. Are you longing or hungry tonight? He's the one who makes us whole. He's the light of the world. He's our truth. The I am, the doorway into abundant life. He's the good shepherd. He nurtures us. He tenderly takes care of us. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection. He's the true vine. So we actually we actually can receive our life from him. He's the king of the Jews. He's the son of God and the son of man. And remember from last week, when those two come together in the person of Jesus, salvation comes to the world. It is that wedding that takes place between God and his creation and the person of Jesus. And it's in his body that we find our, our, our salvation. He's the creator and the recreator, the one who calls us by name, our teacher and the Christ. So tonight, I think here's my, my challenge to you. If there are any places where you're, um, if there are any places in your heart where you're ashamed, right, to come into his presence, if there's any hidden sin, tonight, let him handle all of that. If there's any hurts, let him handle those hurts so that we begin this period of human history, right? This moment in time where women who are free, like Mary Magdalene was free, free to love him, free to be there, free to go and tell, um, and free to live so that the world knows that he is the Christ, the son of God. So Jesus, we want to say thank you for who you are. You are all these things. So Jesus, would you make it true in our own lives? Help us to be women who love you. First and foremost, let us be women who love first and who come into your presence first and leave last. Let us be the women who look for you and can see you. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that there is a love that just bubbles up inside of us, that gift of living water, that gift of the Holy Spirit that makes love for Jesus possible. We pray Jesus for that tonight. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. Don't let us stop. Let us keep going as we go forward. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.